Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Teachers, administrators, and other school staff play an important role. Education can be a shining light and it's really the equalizer for everybody. You are making a difference in people's lives, including your students. You can have a really bad day at school and still realize that what you're doing is making a bigger difference. We are the best profession in the world next to doctors, but even a doctor had a teacher. Find what helps at cdcfoundation.org slash how right now. Teachers, administrators, and other school staff play an important role. Education can be a shining light, and it's really the equalizer for everybody. You are making a difference in people's lives, including your students. You can have a really bad day at school and still realize that what you're doing is making a bigger difference. We are the best profession in the world next to doctors, but even a doctor had a teacher. Find what helps at cdcfoundation.org slash how right now. Jay here from Full Time Devils. Joining me today is the infamous Duncan Castles <laughs> from the Transfer Podcast, from the Daily Record and writes for the Sunday Times as well. I'm sure you all know Duncan if you're a United fan or if you're a football fan. It's quite prominent on, in social media as well. And obviously, if you've not heard his podcast, you should check that out as well. It's all good stuff. Um, Duncan, I say infamous because you're one of the journalists who's not afraid to, to give your opinion as well as, as news articles as well. And you've, you've obviously been covering United for, for some time now. And we're going to obviously talk about that today. We're going to talk about Ollie and the current situation and, and what's going on at the minute. But just before we get into that, I want to go back to, to Jose because you were one of the journalists who championed Jose. You thought he was a good appointment. You, you rated him as a manager, as most journalists do, but you were very, very sort of vocal about that. Why do you think Jose and Manchester United just didn't work out? Well, just on, on Mourinho, um, to give bit of my background, I started covering football in Japan before the 2002 World Cup, moved to England uh, to work for the Daily Mail just before Mourinho arrived and I spoke about Portuguese from working in uh, Japanese football with a lot of Brazilian players there and coaches, so I kind of got a, a way into the Portuguese media and learned about Mourinho and then was there during the start of that period, you know, when he, he really came to prominence as one of the top coaches in world football and kind of followed his career through so I had a lot of background in, in, in the way he worked. I know a lot of people close to him, I've interviewed him a, a lot of times so I think with Mourinho there's always this, there's this public persona and then there's quite a lot going on in the background um, and the people who I think generally in, in, in the media and football as well, the people who know him away from that image he portrays and that you know kind of, kind of a fake character in, in many ways. They know how good he is, um, and they know kind of the breadth of the way he coaches, and, and he really is genuinely in a top level compared to um, a lot of coaches in the world. And, and you know, this is going to be the test for him coming up. It's interesting. He's, got, he's getting close to going back to, to work again, and it's going to be the big test of whether he can re-establish 
and demonstrate that quality again at his next club because there are a lot of doubters after the way it ended at Manchester United and it ended really badly. Um, why did it not work? I, I think we're, what you, we're seeing with Manchester United is the way things have gone wrong. You know, this isn't novel, but post Sir Alex Ferguson leaving, post David Gill leaving, that sort of dual change of a very, very experienced chief executive who knew how contracts worked, knew how football worked, knew how football politics worked, disappearing, being replaced by a chartered accountant, investment banker, who knew how to make commercial revenue of the club, very, very good at it, had helped the Glazers get control of the club, so had real um, their trust, but no experience of working in football at all. And, um, and then obviously the greatest manager in terms of track record that English football, probably Scottish football, has ever seen. I, my personal preference would be Jim McLean at Dundee United, having, <laughs> having, having grown up with the rivalry between those two. But uh, if you look at record in terms of um, trophies they won, even in Scotland, you've got to say Ferguson had that extra level and that ability to, to run a club from top to bottom. In tandem with other people, he was, he was particularly towards the end of his career, he was very good at delegating um, and bringing in you know, when he, when he saw someone like Wenger come in, you know, these are all old stories, he sees Wenger come in and bringing conditioning um, and the, the physical training, the emphasis on diet, recruiting players out of the French market, um, using his expertise there. He doesn't sort of get frustrated by it, he says, oh, what's he doing? I'm going to copy that, I'll take that and I'll integrate that into Manchester United and I'll hire someone to do these things. You've got the tactical developments coming, he brings in Carlos Queiroz to, to, to help him on the tactical side. You know, I, I interviewed Patrice Evra not long after Queiroz left Manchester United and Patrice emphasised the fact that Queiroz was fundamental in him and his Manchester United side winning the Champions League because he taught them how to defend in Champions League football in a way that they hadn't done in the Premier League. And Ferguson was brilliant at that. But he, to lose the two simultaneously was a major mistake for Manchester United. And then you get this process where they appoint David Moyes. I, I think a lot of people are still not fully aware of how that happened, in that um, Ferguson basically wanted to step down, but said, said to the board, if I'm going to step down, the board, the Glazers wanted him to leave because they wanted more control of the club. They didn't like the fact that Ferguson was Manchester United and ultimately had his, could have a huge say in what happened there. They wanted to be able to change things about the club, so they wanted Ferguson to retire. Ferguson went to them and said, OK, I will, but you've got to let me appoint my successor and you've got to um, give me a seat on the board. And they said, no way. And then the, this thing panned through and they came back and eventually said, OK, we'll let you have that. So Ferguson has talked about in his book, or, probably two books, but at least one of them talked about that process of uh, interviewing people like Guardiola um, and uh, assessing the market and, and seeing who, who the best person to succeed him would be. He actually chose Mourinho. Mourinho was, was, was asked to take over the club, had extensive discussions with him, agreed to do it, and then backed out because Roman Abramovich saw Mourinho was going to go to Manchester United came to him and said, come back to Chelsea. 
um, which allowed him to take his family and live with them in London. So if he'd moved to Manchester United, he'd have done what he did if eventually, X years later, which is his family would be based in London. He'd live in a hotel in Manchester and they'd commute between the two. So going to Chelsea, he could stay with his family while they were younger and still at an important era, age of their, you know, their education and their development. And he could kind of scratch that itch of they were the only club who'd sacked him. And um, he hadn't won the Champions League there. That had been the target. So he wanted to go back and you know, show Abramovich I can win the Champions League and show him he was wrong for sacking him. So he chose that job then. And I think that's where things start to go wrong. I think if Mourinho had come in at that stage, I think Ferguson was quite clever in going for Mourinho because he, he had a lot of those elements of a guy who, who was capable of, of being the figurehead and running lots of departments and the club wouldn't shy away from it. Instead, he got turned down at quite a short period of time. And then you've got this, who do I get? And he goes to David Moyes. And if you go back and look at David Moyes talking about when, how he was appointed, he tells this story about how he was shopping, out shopping with his wife. He was, got, it, was it that press conference when he, when he got unveiled, yeah? So, yeah, so you know the story. He gets the phone call from Ferguson to turn up at his house, unexpected, and gets offered the Manchester United job. That doesn't tie, it doesn't tally with any of this process that Ferguson's talked about in his own book of sort of carefully going through the candidates and assessing them and picking the right man. It's, that's a hurried appointment. And then Moyes was on a hiding to nothing because the Glazers didn't want him. He was Ferguson's man, so they were quite happy to see him fail, sacked him rapidly. Then it's suddenly Edward's choice. He goes for Louis van Gaal off the back of a um, a, a good World Cup, but not having done his homework about how Van Gaal's career, it, the key part of his career were the first 10 years as a coach. That's where he, he made his innovations and won his trophies and, and then pretty much was in a slump that we saw when he came to Manchester United. Um, you know, the job was beyond him and the kind of football he wanted to play. And then they bounced back to Mourinho, um, which Looking across this period, there's no doubt he achieved the best results. They're not very good results in the context of what you'd expect from Manchester United, what Manchester United wanted, what the fans wanted. But he did get them second in the Premier League, highest finish by a, a margin of those years. Did win um, the Europa League, did win a, uh, the League Cup in his first season. Um, and, you know, in that second place finish, which people were very critical about and they're very critical about him saying that was the, the, the great, one of the best achievements of my career. You look at it now and you think this is Manchester United struggling to get into the top 10 of the Premier League, albeit early in the season, but worst start 30 years. The club briefing that it's going to be maybe three years of rebuild from now to um, before they can compete again for the Premier League and the Champions League. Um, you know, that, that's quite a, a drastic slide from, what, what were we talking, less than a year ago, second place not being good enough and, and we need to change the manager and we need to, you know, this, this group of players isn't far off. You know, the, the noise from former players in particular was these players just need confidence, they just need to be allowed to play attacking football in a few tweaks and they'll be able to do better in second place. Well, it's, not, it's not turned out that way, has it? 
Do you think there was an element of, I mean, you're going back to that season on, on Jose's final full season mm. where we finished second, City go out and buy Riyad Mahrez for 60 million quid, break their transfer record. We go out, we buy Diego, Diogo Delo, Fred, who was unproven in the Premier League, and a third choice goalkeeper. Now, as a fan, I remember watching this thinking, we ain't going to make up 19 points yeah. by spending this amount of money. Do you think the board did lose faith in him then? Or do you think they gave up on the the, the, the challenge of going for the title and just thought, you know, this is our ambition now? I think they definitely lost faith in him. I think they got. T- I think they definitely got tired of him. Um, you know, one of Mourinho's faults as a manager is he doesn't tolerate second place. Ironically, he, you know, he's driven to win, and he doesn't. If you look through the history of his career, the times when things get difficult for him at Chelsea, Real Madrid, at Manchester United is when he is saying to the club, "We need to do this." You want me to win the Premier League in Manchester United's case, Chelsea's case, you want me to win the Champions League. In in Real Madrid's case, you want me to win the Champions League. Well, to do that, we need to sign, and and Chelsea and Manchester United is exactly the same remedy. We need to sign a better centre-back. We we need a top-quality centre-back with pace. It was was Chelsea's problem because they had John Terry. So he he was saying, look, I can only play one way against top Champions League sides. I've got to defend very deep because John Terry's my centre-back, he's good, but if I play a high line with John Terry, we're, we'll get, we get destroyed by top opponents. So, you want to win the Champions League? We need to buy a top centre-back who's got pace. Simple as that. They refuse to do it. Big fight, he's out within a few months. Manchester United, not so much pace, but it was, we need a top centre-back. We need a leader in defence. The defence is nowhere near good enough. Um, I've got to cover up for the defensive deficiencies. The reason he played so many different formations and setups is he's using his tactical brain to say, okay, we're playing this opponent, I need to cover up for the defence in this way. We're playing this opponent, I can afford to be a bit more open and go after them. So it it was all kind of creating solutions instead of having a core team that he really trusted in. And I remember speaking to guys close to him during that process and asking them, what's your best 11? What would be your best 11? So we, we don't have a best 11 because the players, there's too many flaws with the players to be able to say, this is a consistent 11 we can play in all circumstances and get a good result out of it. We've got to come up with solutions. And, you know, the board didn't want to do it. They didn't want to spend to the level he wanted. And you can see the history of the board. If you look, look over the, the Mourinho years, there's this sort of um, idea that he wanted to sign older players and he primarily signed older players. And he does like more experienced players, but you actually look at the players he signed, the majority of them were quite young. Um, you know, Eric Bailly, Victor Lindelof, Fred, Diogo Dalo. So you've got the Nemanja Matic. Um, outlier, obviously, and you've got the Ibrahimovic outlier of that, you know, no transfer fee, big, big wages. Or Romelu Lukaku, relatively young, even though he's been in, been in the game a long time. So the tendency was actually to do what the Glazers are doing at the moment and what Solskjaer are doing at the moment. Maybe not quite as extreme, but it's target younger players. And, you know, he was saying that centre-back, we've tried two younger ones and we're not quite got there. We need a finished article. And then you get this huge fight. You know, he, he, he goes to the media to try and provoke them to, to respond. That fails. So by doing that, he's undercut his current players. 
he, he gives a bad image of the club. You know, he dug himself a hole there, but the hole was being dug for him. You know, the shovel was given to him by the Glazers. The combination, I think, of you know a, an executive vice chairman who doesn't really know football, didn't understand that that's what we need. And if you had, if you know, if you had a, I would like to think you had a David Gill there. Certainly, if you had a cheeky Bulgaristan figure in the middle, cheeky Bulgaristan would say to the board, "No, you know, we can't get away with another young one." And actually, we do need one. He's right. Um, but there's no fi- there's no figure like that at Manchester United. There's no guy to intervene and say to Woodward, "From my football perspective, you trust my football knowledge." Well, my football knowledge says yes. The manager's right on this one. He might not like the way he's going about it, but give him what he wants, and you'll get better results. Was one of those that he wanted Harry Maguire? I don't. Uh, Harry Maguire was not, in my understanding, his first choice at centre back. I think what happened there was. The scouting staff at Manchester United liked Harry Maguire, so they, they were going through lists. And Mourinho was proposing his ideas, and the, the scouting staff. This happened throughout his period. The scouting staff would come up with, you "Need a new centre back, or you need a, a, a new uh, right winger." Here's the list of five names that the scouting department think. And Mourinho would take those names and send it to someone he trusted, um, and say, "What do you think of those?" You know, the ones that he didn't know as well. What do you think of them? Are they good ideas? If they're not, who would you suggest? And then you'd have this sort of fight over. So, and I think what happened with Maguire was the, basically the scouting staff wanted, thought Maguire was a good idea. And Mourinho thought, well, if that's what I can get, yes, that's an improvement on what we've got, so I will accept that because it will give me a chance to get better results. I mean, you saw him on Sky recently talking about Maguire and saying pretty much exactly that. He is an improvement. He's better than any centre-back we've got, so it's a, it's a good signing. Were you surprised? I was surprised, a little bit surprised when he was on Sky the other day, Jose, because he said something along that. I'm paraphrasing it about why he, he, they were right to sack him or he understood why he got sacked. Mm. Which I, I was surprised, I expected him to, to, to sort of come out the opposite. I expected him to sort of fight back and say, I know he doesn't want to throw only under, under the bus or, or anything like that, but I expected him to say, you know, look at the results since I've gone, look at where they're at now. I was surprised. I, 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 that's the first time I've ever heard anything like that mm-hmm. from Mourinho. You know, he's never said anything <laughs> like that about his time at Chelsea. Not, not publicly, not privately. And I think that was, it was interesting. He said that, and I think that's come from a period of reflection on, you know, I know after he got sacked, he started um, talking to people who he had been working with, and ask, including some of the players, and asking them what had gone wrong. You know, give me your feedback. When did things start to go wrong? What were the problems? Because he wanted to, you know, this, this is really, this, as I said earlier, this next job is really important to him. Because he's that winner, because he has that pride, he wants to get the next job right, and that's why he's doing this work to, you know, where, where, where have I gone wrong? Where do I need to change things? How have footballers changed? Are there different ways to deal with them? You know, um, so I, I think that's where that comment came from. Can't be easy for someone like Justin Marino, I imagine. I don't know him. I've you know done a couple of press conferences with him. I've never really got to know him personally, but. He doesn't strike me as someone that would easily go to players and say, tell me what, what I'm doing wrong. That, that seems like must be quite difficult for him. 
Yeah, I'm not sure he phrased it as tell me what I did <laughs> yeah. wrong. Or just, yeah. No, yeah. I think it's probably more like <laughs> what went wrong. Yeah, what went wrong. Yeah, that's probably, yeah. <laughs> tell me why you didn't play what, how well you should have done when you were playing for me. That's probably how I did it. Um, obviously, Oli came in um, and he had this um, this this amazing run and, and, and the results were going were going great. Me and you, before we were talking off camera about the Cardiff game and how... We scored five goals for the first time in, in months and all the rest of it, for however long it was and, and all the rest of it. When Oli first came in, did you just think this is just a caretaker job and he's he's going to go? Because even the most ardent United fan like myself, who loves Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, I thought he'll come in till end of the season and then we'll get a permanent manager. And is that how you saw that, that panning out? Yeah, yeah, and I think you can go back and listen to the, you know the, the transfer window podcast we did at the time, and it was very much how how on earth can they they go for Solskjaer um, because that can't be that can't be a permanent appointment because of his, you know, the, it's he's not inexperienced. He's been a football manager for eight years. It would have been over eight years at that point. Um, he's, his Premier League record was terrible relegating Cardiff okay you can get into a bad situation but look at kind of do a bit of due diligence on what he did there and the players he signed and the involvement of you know his own personal agent in the signing of players who didn't play very much that's that should be a warning sign to a club you know most clubs would would, would worry about that done well in Norway yes but that's the sum total of his of his um you know managerial success and no other Champions League club, no other club of Manchester United stature and significantly down from Manchester United stature would have looked to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as even an interim coach. That, you know, as simple as that. We, we were talking about this the other day. If, you know, okay, maybe it's maybe too early to get here because the Glazers and, and Woodward are still sort of saying patience with Solskjaer, etc. We were talking the other day, what would happen if Solskjaer got sacked now? We're comparing to Pochettino's situation. And Pochettino maybe agitating to to leave um, Tottenham, and then maybe now for the first time these these kind of questions of maybe Tottenham should get rid of him. We're saying you know if Pochettino gets leaves or gets sacked, then he suddenly jumps to the head of the queue for jobs like Manchester United and jobs like Real Madrid. You know he's a serious contender, Paris Saint Germain. If Solskjaer gets sacked, can you even see him getting another job in the Premier League? Probably not. Even being honest. If I'm being honest, no, I think you're right. Um, just on that Poch point there, it's almost shades of like what happened with Mourinho and Van Halen when Mourinho left Chelsea and everyone was sort of assuming that he was waiting in the wings. Do you think Poch is someone that, if things don't work out with Ole, could end up at United? Because people are already people have been saying that before, even even before Ole was appointed, people were saying Pochettino could be the could be the, the manager. Obviously, Ole came in. Do you see Pochettino at United? If, if he's definitely a candidate. I, I mean, it's easy because you know Ferguson's talked to him, met him, and okay, Ferguson's not involved in the decision making. You know, he's, he's a board member, but he's a board member who's not on the key PLC board. But uh, Woodward likes him. He was the other candidate when Van Gaal was being prepared to be sacked. It was Pochettino or Mourinho, and the, and the board, as I understand, was kind of split between them. There were people who thought Pochettino would be a better appointment, far less controversial, and you know this nice smooth trajectory of success in the in the Premier League. Um, 
you know, I talked to people close to Pochettino at the time, and it was interesting that they are, they said, yeah, the, the my, he, he, Manchester United have approached him as a consideration, not being offered the job. Like, as far as I understand, he was never offered the job, but it was at that stage of right, let's talk, sound each other out, and the, and the feeling was that it could turn into a job offer. Pochettino's feeling was it was the wrong time to go to Manchester United. Wrong time for him because he'd never been in a position of controlling or being highly influential in transfers, which is what you would need to be because there was no technical director. Um, The squad being very poor, so he knew that from a football perspective it was a tough job and needed a lot of work. Um, Being placed in the media right in the front of the media headlights because Tottenham, yeah, okay, you get a lot of exposure. Manchester United, you're always a story. Always, always, always. You know, you just say that, you know, writing about Manchester United, people say it's the easiest job in football journalism because the editor always wants a story even if it's, you know, even if it's just he says this. You know, it's it's a different grade altogether because the fan base is huge. Um, And Pochettino hadn't done that either. So he... He's an interesting character because he's very considered about his career. He knows he's young. He sees himself eventually being Real Madrid manager. You know, he, he definitely that's his uh, one of his ultimate goals is to be there. But he think he, he's strategic and says, I, I don't need to be Real Madrid manager now. Or when we're talking what three years ago, uh, over three years ago would have been that period where they were looking to replace Van Gaal. And he was thinking, no, I don't need to be Manchester United manager now. It's better. Um, to carry on at Tottenham because the squad's better, further establish myself, work, and down the line that opportunity will come back again. Now, um, yeah, for sure, I think, uh, and you know, all the noises are that he's. You can tell he, you can tell he wasn't happy at at, um, at Tottenham last season. You can tell he pushed and pushed Levy. Mm-hmm. You can tell he, he tried to get the Real Madrid job a year, over a year ago, the summer before last, he wanted to leave and leave, he wouldn't let him, let him go. So he thinks he's, at that stage, he thought he was ready for Real Madrid. I haven't asked the question to people near him, but I, I would guess he he's, feels he's ready to be a Manchester United manager. The question would be, would he choose Manchester United over, say, you know, and this is completely hypothetical, but say he had Real Madrid, Paris Saint-Germain, um, Juventus, you know, Juventus could open up again because they, they haven't got a long, Sarri's not a long-term option for them. Um, and Manchester United has four jobs to choose from. Which one would you go for? Well, you know, you mentioned like when he was looking at, at reasons why he didn't want to come to United. A reason that most managers or a lot of managers maybe put off is the, the, the structure that you touched upon before, mm-hmm. the way it's wor- it, it works or the way it's, it's structured. We don't have the self that City have, Manchester City have, where you know you have someone like Pakistan who can sort of oversee transfers and all the rest of it. Is that a f- the fundamental problem here at Manchester United? Because you, know, you mentioned the managers before. David Moyes, I get why it didn't work out. Van Hal, you mentioned, yeah, he was in a bit of a slump. But Jose is someone that you think, yeah, that's a manager that's going to get you a title eventually. But all these managers, it's not worth and You have to look at somewhere else. And, you know, the, the sort of common denominator is, is the structure in, in Ed Woodward. Is, is that the, the, the fundamental flaw, do you think, that needs to change? Or do you think it is just a case of getting the right manager and, and giving him time? I think, I think there's problems pretty much top to bottom. You know, I think you've got owners 
who are only in it for the money. You know, they bought the club to make profit. They take tens of millions out each year. They've taken, you know, the cost of their takeover is well documented to the club has been over a billion pounds of cash going out in various different ways, whether it's you know, loan fees or paying interest on, on the you know, leverage buyout, director's fees, um, dividends that they get. So, and they're not interested in the football. They're only interested in the football by making money. How often do you see the Glazers at matches? No, well, and you know, it amazes me that when sometimes when they are at games, some fans have had selfies with them and all that, and it's just like <laughs> the mind boggles at times. You know, one thing I've always think the Glazers. I think I would love to see the Glazers sell up and someone come in with lots of money and invest in the club. I just don't see it happening. You know, I wish it did and I hope it does, but I don't see it happening. Do you not think there's an element with the Glazers where? Investing in the team, investing what is going on on the pitch could make them more money. Do you not think they could see that? Because you look at what Liverpool have done. Liverpool started investing in the team and they've had success on the pitch and their global brand, which I hate that term, but let's face it, it is what it is, has grown and they're making more money. Yeah. Do you not think the Glazers could look in that way? Or do you just think they're, they're looking I'm, at I'm sure, like, I'm sure. Just take, if, take, take. I'm sure if you had, one of, you had the, the extreme fortune of having one of the Glazers in this room answering your questions because they never answer anyone's questions about anything. They would, the response would be, we've invested a huge amount oh, of money in the football yeah. team. And they're right, they are actually right. If you go through the, the figures in terms of uh, transfer fee cost uh, to buy the squads, Manchester United are way up. They're not, they're, they're significantly behind Manchester City. They're behind Paris Saint-Germain, but they're way up the list, you know. Um, so transfer fee cost, transfer fee spend uh, both gross and net, particularly net, because the, the the selling of players has been horrendous under Woodward, um, is huge. Uh, the wage bill is very high, um, so they spend. They have they haven't invested as much as they could. That's that's where you want the change of ownership because you strip out those uh, debt costs each year, and you just you have that operating profit, and you pump it all into the football team. They're miles ahead of everyone else in Europe in terms of the the you know the baseline operating profit. Once you take all those uh, costs, unnecessary transactional costs away, um, so it's it's not that they haven't invested in the team. It's that investment has been poor, and that to me comes down to their choice of Woodward as the executive vice chairman. Because if you look at when the spending occurred. It's, at, it's basically post-Ferguson. So most of, I think for most of Ferguson's period under the Glazers, he had about, I think he had a net 20 million a year to spend. And we're talking when 20 million was a significant amount of money. Yeah. But you could pretty much chart it for a number of years. During the Abramovich era, Ferguson had you know, essentially 20 million net a year to invest in the team, which could get you a lot, but was less than the, the competition. Once... Um, Woodward comes in, then they start breaking transfer records again and again and again, and giving people huge salaries again and again and again. And he's just done it with David De Gea. He's given De Gea an immense contract, um, you know, 13 and a half million net um, a year uh, base salary, um, which is basically talking to people um, involved with that contract. Their 
their confident he couldn't have got that anywhere else and couldn't have got close to it anywhere why, else. Why is he not learning then, do you think? Well, I know you can't speak for him, but why, you, you know, you cover United or not, you cover this in, in mm. and out. Why do you think he's not learning from this? Because he seems to be making, for me, the same mistakes. You're talking about massive contracts. How many players have we got on massive contracts that aren't even kicking a ball? Yeah. Got, I, I was watching Alexis Sanchez the other night playing for Inter. We're paying for him yeah. to play in the Champions League for another club. That I just can't get my head around that. And I, I could understand it if it was his first season, Woodward. And you think, oh, you've come in, you've got Giddy, you've made some mistakes and you're learning and OK. You shouldn't be learning at the job at United, but you are. OK, I get that. But he doesn't seem to learn. And, you, you know, you mentioned there, David De Gea is the most, you know, the highest paid goalkeeper in the world. I love David De Gea. He's been a great servant for United. Yes, he's had a blip, but I think he is one of the best keepers in the world. But you just said then, but he couldn't have got that anywhere else. So why are we not? Why are we still doing Mar- this? Marcus Rojo is a good example. Yeah. Yeah, Marcus Rojo is on... Um, off the top of my head, I think it's eight million a year. It's his contract, and barely played a game last year. Um, he he gives these players, you know, Phil Jones new contract. I mean, uh, and Chris Smalling new contract, big substantial contracts. These all have repercussions for the rest of the team. So you know, David de Gea has got his contract. Then um, Paul Pogba, if he decides to seriously negotiate with Manchester United on a new contract, which, you know, United want to keep him. Um, that's the, you know, that's the benchmark for him. And, 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 and Raiola will be arguing, well, he's a goalkeeper. My boy's the midfielder, he's your creative player. So I want, you know, 50% on top of that. Do you see Paul Pogba any chance of him going for a new contract at United? There's been talk of it. I th- Look, the, the, the club have, um, asked and, and tried to set up those contract discussions I think it's pretty clear they're in the hands of Pogba and Raiola in terms of um, you know Pogba wants to go elsewhere simple as that Raiola wants to make money so if they have a see themselves having a better option and a way out they'll, they'll go they will go somewhere else to make the money and be a, a club where they're playing Champions League football and winning things um, and not the centre of controversy, um, the centre of sort of dissent um, from from the media, from from fans. So, yeah, I think it, the 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 word from Manchester United is they want to retain the player, and obviously they had the opportunity to sell him this summer, and they elected not to do it. They could have sold out a profit, got that problem off their hands, decided to retain him. Um, whether they can or not, I think is purely dependent on what other clubs are prepared to offer him and offer Manchester United to go there I think that that's that'll pan out on that it's not it's not something that's properly in United's control you meant we were talking about Woodward and, and, and the sort of the drama that's gone on there and, and mentioned Ollie as well you, you wrote a piece I think the other day to looking at Ollie and you, you mentioned in it about Ollie and the training regime that's gone on and and, and and also the injuries we've had. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was this talk one there about this high intensity training and the players are going to be fitter than ever. And then we've, we've lost Anthony Martial pretty early. I think that was that a muscle injury. I might be wrong. Martial, Rashford, Luke Shaw, all muscular injuries. So, so Phil Jones, muscular Phil, injury. Yeah, I mean, people make old Phil, but it's still an injury. It's still a muscular injury. What do you make of that? Then what do you make of the, the, the training? Is it is it becoming counterproductive, or was it just? Almost like a bit of a nonsense to say, oh, you know, this high intensity training is, is the way forward, and then, you know, we're not seeing any benefits from it. I think, uh, well, look, how often did you hear Solskjaer 
as the results plummeted. You know, I think I think that run of results he had there was a period at the tail end of last season where they had the worst run of results for Manchester United in his lifetime. And how often did you hear him say, "Once I've got a pre-season in them, once I've got a pre-season, players aren't fit enough. They are not able to play at the intensity I want. They're not able to press." Um, but give me a pre-season and we'll solve that. Um, I was always sceptical of that because you had that rash of muscular injuries when he came in and changed the training regime. So he, he altered it. And then uh, I think it was the PSG home leg. There were three muscular injuries in the build-up to that game. They lost three players in the build-up and then they lost, they brought... Um, or they, I think they lost, no, they lost one, one in the build-up, two in the first half, brought Lingard back from a muscular injury and had to, he had to go off again. I've yeah. never seen that. I've never seen that in almost 20 years of covering professional football. So, so that's either the training is wrong or, and he's not um, handling, he's not assessing when when's the right time to put players in. So, so you know, fitness training in football is kind of a dark art and there's a lot of debate about different ways of doing it. There's a lot of um, scientific measurement now. There, there are different approaches you can use. Um, but it's not just about the training regime. It's also about judging when the player is um, in danger of injuring himself and is able to go back on the field. Um, and is able to play without injuring himself. And the guys are really good. <laughs> if you look at their track record, um, so you know, Rui Faria um, was Manchester United's assistant manager, was um, Mourinho's physical trainer through majority of his career. Graduated, specialising in physical fitness, and then developed out sort of into the tactical areas from that. He has a you know a specific training methodology that he's worked on and developed, and um, tactical periodization it's called. And and they don't one of the elements of that is you never do any running without the ball. So all the training his teams do is done with the ball. Idea being, you can only train players for a limited amount of time. They play two games a week, that which is already too much physically. There's quite good you know scientific papers showing that if you keep players playing twice a week, then they get injured because it's, it's just it's too much strain in the body. Therefore, you're, if you're playing two, twice a week, the amount of time you've got to train your players and do tactical work is extremely limited. Probably, I mean, Faria uses 90 minutes per day um, sessions when he can. So if you're limited in the amount of time you have to keep them fit, then you do the ball work simultaneously. So you can do the tactical work, you can double up the tactical work with the fitness work. Um, which is less boring for the players, more, it's more interesting for the players and also allows you to, to, to make better use of your time. If you look at his fitness record through the career and, how, and the, the number of injuries his teams have got, they're fantastic. And I, I don't think it was a coincidence that when he left, the, the, the injuries increased at Manchester United. But you've got to say, when Mourinho left, the injuries increased again when Solskjaer had his training re- regime and that pre-season he's talked about, we've seen it now and as you pointed out, we're already getting lots of muscular injuries. Personally, I don't see a team that's playing with higher intensity. I don't see a team that's, um, yes, they press, but they don't consistently press the opposition. So they're definitely not more robust 
um, as which is one of the phrases Solskjaer used. So it, it seems it's not working. And I know talking to players, they feel that it's 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 very British style training. Um, it's not. They don't see it as being. Is that a criticism? Don't see it as being is that very, like a, yeah, is that a criticism? That's a yeah. criticism. It's, it's very, it's, they don't think it's very sophisticated. Right. Okay. They don't. You know. That's not across the board, but some of the some of the the, the feedback I'm getting is it's just the coaching is just not top level. Well, that's a worry, as from a fan point of view. But also, when we talk about Ollie, when we talk about pre-season, and one of the things that strikes me is is our transfer dealings. Obviously, we'll get to that as well. But players come in, yeah, that's one thing. But the players we've let go, we let go of Lukaku. We mentioned Sanchez earlier. Herrera was one of my favourite players. I was sad to see him go. Smalling has obviously gone as well. And there's a sort of trailer thought of yeah, we had to have this clear out. We had to get rid of some players. You know, there's too many players. The wage bill was too high. The the you know the players went up to it or whatever. But we haven't replaced some of these players. And you know you know it ties in with injuries for me as well. Marcus Rashford for me looks like he needs a break. Yet we're yeah. short on strikers. Mason Greenwood, a 17-year-old kid, has gone from being a player that many of us were hoping we'd see 10 or 15 games this season. Who've been watching him in the academy and whatnot. So now you know we had some slides the other week, and people are putting that as a reason we're not going to win a game because we can't have Mason Greenwood. What have you made of the way the players have been sold and, and not replaced? Is that Solskjaer's decision, or do you think that again it's Mr. Woodward saying we need to get rid of some of these players? Look, I think Solskjaer would would like to have had more um, in an ideal world, uh, but was also on board with concentrating on the defence with the you know the limited budget he had. He made the decision on Lukaku. So you know you've you've got him talking recently saying it was time for Lukaku to leave. The reason Lukaku wanted to leave was because Solskjaer stopped dropped him and stopped playing. So Solskjaer came in, he made Rashford number nine, and Lukaku only got back in the team I think when Rashford had an injury. I think yeah there was a, there was an, I he think, got in for a period. Yeah, yeah. I think Marshall had an injury and then at one point we had two up front and we with 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 um, Lukaku and Rashford and, and Lukaku did pretty well when he came in. He scored six, six in three, I think. Yeah. It was, yeah, yeah. So, so Solskjaer made a decision that Lukaku didn't fit with his football, and and I think like I just can't. You just keep coming back to the same thing, which is he's not a top level manager. So Solskjaer's plan is obviously quick counter attack, pacey football, which is fine. Um, it will get you a certain degree of results but the opponents in the Premier League the opponents in the Champions League which are not even in um, cotton on to teams that can only play one way and they, they set up to stop them and he's got you know Lukaku whether you like him or not that type of striker a, a guy who can bully the defence the guy who scores headers a guy who can play with the back to, his back to goal, who can hold up the ball. I mean, Lukaku actually developed into a player who was quite good at um, crossing the ball and setting up his teammates during his time at Manchester United. That gives you a tactical option. What's he got at the moment? He's got two players in Rashford and Martial who are basically the same type of strikers. Want, to, want the ball in front of them, want to run at opponents, are very good at doing that. Not deadly finishers. I think Martial's a better finisher than Rashford. Yeah, I think that's a fair comment. That both want to probably want to play off the left hand side. So you've got this thing with Rashford that you know you want it to be number nine. You want it to be number nine. Then pre season, 
he's asked about it and he says, um, actually, I don't necessarily see myself as a centre forward. Um, and then you've got, as you say, you've got Mason Greenwood, who's a, who's a really good talent. I mean, uh, guys I trust, I was asking them about him before he broke into the team. And they said, you know, this guy proper has the proper potential to be a Manchester United striker for a long time and, a, and an England striker. You know, you, you often see academy players built up way above their true potential. But I think even even though he's he's started against Astana and Rochdale, so it's easier opponents, you see that ability to finish and get, get his shots away early, hit the target. He, you can see he's a striker. And I, and I think Solskjaer's actually handling him quite well and he's, he's emphasising... Do you think that? Yeah, because I've mm. seen some, some fans questioning that, criticising him a little bit, Solskjaer, when it comes to... Mason Greenwood, are we over relying on him? Is he using him in the right way as a sub? Is it, you know? Well, you, you, you can definitely argue that he's, he's put pressure on him by giving himself such a narrow squad, so Greenwood's yeah. number three. That's not a good thing. But he, he has, he's gone out of his way to keep saying, I don't want to overexpose him in the team. And it would be very easy for him to do that now, because when, when he scores the goals in his, his games, it's very easy to grow with that and just say, right, I'm going to start him in the next match. And, and, you know, that could work. He could score um, again, although I, he didn't, I don't think he did particularly well off the bench against Arsenal, a slightly higher level opponent. But it could also really backfire. Um, you know, we've seen it with young English players so many times. If they, they will get built up into, and, you know, I, I, I can be accused of it for, for what I've just said, and I, I rarely do this. Rarely do this with, with English players and young players. I'm doing it because the people I trust in terms of judging these things say, and I'm from the bits I've seen, I think he has got it. But there is a danger if you overexpose that the English media will say, this guy is unbelievable. He is the future of the England team. And he... He, it's easy for players to believe they're much better than they are and stop developing. And I think we see a bit of that with Rashford, unfortunately. I think he's, Rash- got, he's coming for a lot of criticism, Marcus Rashford, recently. And, and I feel sort of, I get very defensive with Marcus Rashford because I think the criticism he receives has been over the top. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of it isn't his fault. I think you mentioned there about injuries. I mean, I saw Marcus Rashford hobbling around against Liverpool last season, literally hobbling. Yeah and try yeah. running himself yeah. into the ground and I think you know the question marks yeah is he a number nine probably not but he's playing there he's been asked to play there he plays whenever he can he plays a lot of games as well um, but yeah people are questioning Marcus Rashford and, and that worries me as well because I always thought with Ollie, I thought the good thing with Ollie is someone like Rashford would, would develop but sure. it seems almost the opposite because we've lost Lukaku Moore's expected Rashford Martial's injured he's playing a lot of football and we're still, this unsh- we're still not sure about Marcus Rashford where his best position is and, and whether he, you know, he's a striker or is he a winger, sort of inside forward, should we say. Do you see Rashford developing? Do you see him becoming that player that many of us, I still think, can be, but not everyone agrees? I think, I think that's, that's the problem I have with Marcus Rashford is physically he's pretty solid, you know. He's not a tiny little guy. He's muscular. He's really quick, obviously. Um, he... You know, there's no reason why he shouldn't be able to play with his back to goal. No reason why he shouldn't be able to be more effective in the air. Um, he, he has the physical attributes to add that to a game, to his game, and he hasn't. 
you know, these aren't things that are impossible to to learn as a striker. And, and I think you ask a good question why that's not happening with Solskjaer. Because, you know, obviously Solskjaer can help him with his finishing. He should be able to help him with those aspects of the game too. And and if, if he adds that, then you've got, you know, a proper rounded centre forward there. He's still very young. Um, you know, I don't see why not, but it hasn't happened. And and like you say, this situation at present where he's, you know, is anyone surprised that Martial got injured? Is anyone, you know, look at his look at his 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 history as as professional football. He's, you know, he's not horrendously injury prone, but he does miss games. He's also extremely moody. You know, he's a guy who, when he when he wants to be, can be sensational. I mean, he's got a lot potential to be a top player, but when he isn't interested, he he really falls away. And so, so then, if you narrow your squad to two experienced strikers, neither of whom are that uh, they're okay experienced, but neither of them have been experienced. Still young lads, aren't they? They're but young, you know. Let's, they play I a lot think, of games. Yeah, I think sometimes with both Martial and Rashford people are quick to point out well they've been around for years but still change the fact they're still young they don't players. have the experience that Lukaku had of being the man who was expected to score the goals for his team for multiple seasons they yeah. don't have that experience and suddenly they're expected to do it at Manchester United who are a struggling team anyway that's tough and that's a bad recruitment decision and you know that you know, we started talking about recruitment and, and whether they've done a good job this summer. I think that's that's your that's your concern here. You've got the you've got the board, they've got the club briefing. We've had a good transfer window. Yeah, success. I think on the back of it was, you know, everyone knows the club said that the after a successful transfer window. Do you, do you see it that way? No, and 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 briefing also. There's a suggestion they might not go for a full technical director now because the window was good. How look. Harry Maguire, for me, was a bad signing. I, I have a different view about Maguire than a lot of people, but you know, you go back and go through our podcasts and we've said multiple times on them, this is a guy who doesn't have pace, is positionally suspect, very good in the air, good with the ball at his feet, and therefore looks better than he is. Um, probably got his prominence by playing for England in the World Cup as one of a three, not as one of a two, as one of a three, which is a much easier thing to do as a centre-back. You've got two guys covering for you. Um, to pay that money for him, you know, he won't get any quicker. You might be able to sort out the positional stuff, but he's 26, so how much are you going to do it? You will, mistakes will come, and we've already seen those errors with Maguire. So while an improvement on what they had if you have £85 million to spend the centre-back, you don't spend it on Maguire, from my view. Um, Juan Bissaka, I think, is a really good signing. They paid top dollar for him. You know, He was the most expensive specialist fullback for a, a short period until um, City signed John Cancelo. Um, and you know, he's, he's, a, he's a great one-on-one defender. Um, still needs to, I think, learn a bit about the positional and the, the overall defensive side, but... That those things can be taught and you've got great raw material there and I think also will improve as an attacking fullback too so that that was you know I think any manager in the Premier League would have been happy with Wan-Bissaka coming in and Daniel James worked really well for them I was sceptical about that one at first um, then, had a, then had a chat after they signed him with again someone I trust and transfers and he 
he'd actually um, was interested in signing him for a, an overseas club himself until United came in and you know said sent the price above what it was and he said yeah he's a you know basically said they've done well there and he has the potential I wouldn't put him straight into the first team it might be a bit heavy on him but an improvement in what they've got and actually he's proved that he's responded very well to to getting into the first team but you know as you say they let Herrera go and this is a classic Woodward move of they offered Herrera a pay cut to stay at the club when he when he was he was going out of contract and you know Herrera was actually very grateful to Solskjaer for what he'd done he enjoyed the way he'd been used under Solskjaer and become become central to the team again and Herrera actually went to Solskjaer and told him look I'm, I'm you know, months before the end of the season said I'm going to join Paris Saint-Germain I wanted to tell you first because you've been good with me but I can't the club have offered me a pay cut and I'm being offered this at Paris it's you see know. it annoys me sometimes because I, I was tweeting about this the other day and people were having a go at Herrera so we didn't want to be here anyway and I think well you're offered a pay cut hmm <laughs> And it's your last goal. Well, Phil Jones and Chris Yeah, Mang and you're seeing your deals. teammates. And also, you're at the stage in your career where you're not a young man anymore in terms of your playing career. You're coming towards, it's probably your last big contract before yeah. you start getting short-term ones. So I, I do get it. One, um, just looking at players that might be coming in, um, one player that's been sort of mentioned is uh, Mario Mandzukic coming in in January. Two questions, like, do you see that happening? And is that going to solve any problems for United if it does? Well, Mandzukic was going to come to United in the summer as part of the Dybala deal. So um, that Lukaku-Dybala swap that they negotiated with Juventus when Inter, when it looked like Inter weren't going to give the money that they were asking for Lukaku. Um, <laughs> I was laughing about it at the time because Juventus basically tried to get, um, to get United to take Mandzukic off their hands because they wanted they wanted them out at that time so it was okay we'll let, we, we will sell you Dybala but you've got to take Mandzukic too oh, okay. so that was pretty much created by Juventus rather than United targeting the player I, I think they could, they could that tells you they could obviously get the player in January if they wanted and Mandzukic would be prepared to go there um, for the cash um, but from what I understand he's not the he's not the priority um, in those positions and, and you know I think Solskjaer has been pretty clear in saying we could have done something in the summer but we want to buy players who are part of a long term plan so you know Mandzukic is clearly not going to be part of a long term plan you could say it would, they, they would have been sensible to do something along those lines they certainly if they're going to let Lukaku go they should have put an aerial physical striker in of some level be that if you can't get your long-term uh, signing, which presumably they wanted to do, um, although they were trying to get Dybala, so he's not that type of player either. Um, but you know, if you can't get your long-term signing and you need a number, a body for the team and a tactical option, then do a one-year deal um, with an older player. But they haven't done that. And that's the, the balance of the squad is clearly wrong. They're shorter midfielders. They've let two international class midfielders going in the last year you might not like Fellaini but Fellaini contributed to the team yeah regardless I mean and Herrera exactly and you don't replace you know we can have arguments about Lukaku and his touch you can have arguments about 
Fellaini, I know a lot yeah. of fans will go, oh, he was a donkey, whatever, but these are players that played a lot of football, Manchester United, a lot of experience, yeah. and that, that's what worries me. Do you see, sort of, I mean, it's, it's October and we're already looking at January as being this is the, 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 our, our, our saving month. Do you see much happening in January, or do you think that it is going to be sort of next summer before we, we start doing big business? Well, my colleague Ian McGarry did a piece on the, on the podcast um, last week saying that, the, the, you know, and this was sourced from someone at United that they've got three targets um, as forwards in January that they're looking at. Um, so um, Moussa Dembele at Olympic Lyon, who would um, give you that physicality and give you a different way of scoring goals. Um, Osman Dembele at Barcelona, interestingly, who's not a central striker at all and I think that's coming more from the Woodward side of you've got a very um, you know high profile player with a lot of ability who Barcelona are ready to let go because they need to raise cash for FFP let's have a look at it um, and then Timo Werner who again would you know you can understand why they'd be looking at him as a as a, as, a, as a proper centre forward so are these like different options like we don't get that one we get that one the, the, those were the, according to Ian according to the source at, at United those are the three um, on the list for January and look will they do something in January if they don't the way things are going it would be crazy and, and you can see the pressure building from Solskjaer to say let me have something in January because he he, he he has to be aware now that he's in trouble. Two, two wins in, what is it, 12 games in the Premier League now um, over the last two seasons and worst start in 30 years. And, you know, he can... He, do, he does actually seem to believe when he says six out of the seven performances were good and we were unlucky. Um, but they're way off it. What worries me, and you know, I'm a massive Oli fan, and I think we should give him time. I'm not just saying this because mm-hmm. I just do. I'm sick of seeing managers come and go at United, and I'm sick of this merry-go-round. But how do we break this cycle, though, from the outside looking in? Duncan? How would you look at it and think this is how United can 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 solve this problem that keeps going and going? Because if, as you say, you know, things do go wrong for Oli, or the, the board do decide, you know what, he's not the man. We bring in another manager. We're just back to where we were in 2013 with David Moyes again in my opinion that we're, we're starting all over again and you know where does it end how, you know how do you see United breaking the cycle how, what's, what's the, way, the way forward I, look, I understand why Manchester United supporters want Solskjaer to succeed and I understand why people like yourself still want him to do well and, and, and hope it works and don't want to change but um, you can change the manager and get better results they've changed the manager and got worse results you know that's, that's a fact now, you can, the argument is this is part of a long-term building process and he will get it right because he's got a plan that is going to improve matters. British players, faster players, playing a more attacking football. Um, you can argue about whether that plan itself will work or not, but you want to have the best possible manager to implement it. There's nothing about that plan that requires... Willie Gunnar Solskjaer to be in charge. Now he, yes, he's a great figurehead for the club. He understands the club inside out. He's a very likable man, comes across well. 
but if he can't get the training right if he can't get the, the recruitment right and the balance of the squad and makes decisions and tells the club it's okay Rashford and Martial I'm happy with that um, I, I, we can make that work with Greenwood coming in um, if he can't make tactical changes in games how often have we seen Solskjaer I, I haven't seen him make one effective tactical change, i.e. The, the game gets into the wrong shape and he does something intelligent to change the way Manchester United are playing. That's probably one of which, my personal biggest criticisms of all because I'm not criticising a little hmm. lot at all. And that's not just blind loyalty. That's, that's, I, just, I can see what he's trying to do and I, I get it. But I do think, yeah, I get the, the, the in-game management hasn't been hasn't been great in a lot of the time I'm sort of scratching my head a little bit of that and I think it's all connected as well with like you mentioned the players that we've let go and the options he's given him, himself yeah which is you know which is partly his decision making yeah. and, and what I was saying about playing this this fast counter attacking football it does suit Daniel James it does suit Marcel and Rashford but if the, op- if the opponents have a solution to it you've got to have a way to switch because you won't win the Premier League and you won't you won't, probably won't qualify for the Champions League the way things are going just having that one way of playing because the opponents know what you're going to do and you can see if they score the first goal and they, he keeps on saying this with the, the, we score the first goal and then we're in position to, to kill the game off which is right and they don't manage to do it because they make defensive mistakes but they did at Chelsea Chelsea was a great example of that they, United got the first goal even though Chelsea probably should have once you once United had the first goal, they could sit back and take them on the counter-attack and Chelsea were open and they scored four and it, it looks brilliant. And it will give you games like that. So I'm, I'm sure they'll, they'll beat another big opponent the same way, maybe once this season, but then they'll probably lose or draw the other ones. Yeah. Because, and, and that's it's averages and things. So from the outside, having said all that, you've got your strategy, you've got your plan. If the manager's not top level in all of these dimensions, then why don't you employ a better manager? Do you see, do you see Oli last in the season? And it pains me to ask this question in October, but let's not bury our head in the sand. We know there's a lot of, even now, and even though I'm not, I'm not, I don't agree with it, there is sort of rumblings that all's not well. Do you see him being able to sort of turn things around, if that's the right term, and, and sort of get to the end of the season and get to another, another summer and, and try and go again? Well, Woodward's on record as saying that they're going to be patient and they're, you know, they're happy with what's happened in the transfer market and it's a long-term plan. Um, so that's his public statement to the, you know, the investors, the corporate investors about it. What's Woodward's history as executive vice chairman? Whenever things start to go properly wrong and they're going to miss out on Champions League football under that coach, so he's had the full season or... You know, he's had his full season, Moyes, Van Hal, uh, to get there. And they don't, he sacks them. So, it, he's, you know, he, his history has been when the flack is really coming on to the club, get rid of the manager and bring another one in. So my expectation would be... I, I've actually been surprised how quickly the supporters have... Um, the, the sort of degree of negativity about Solskjaer this season. I thought that I thought it would it wouldn't come as soon as it has now. Um, so if this run was to sustain itself, I think it would be very hard for Woodward because because it won't be focused 
primarily on Solskjaer. Solskjaer will get criticism, mm-hmm. but the Glazers will get yeah. a lot of criticism. You've Especially got, in you've the got ground. the Glazers out movement. You've got this yeah. boycott um, uh, attempt from the Glazers out movement. You know, the Glazers are being targeted. Woodward's being targeted. So, if that keeps coming on to them, I, the obvious and straightforward answer is to change manager. You asked me what, from the outside, what my suggestion would be to to solve it. I think you have to get a technical director in. You have to have that coherent individual who knows football, knows how football works, who can have a strate- who can come up with a strategic plan for the club, and start recruiting managers, working with managers he trusts, and recruiting players to to fit that picture. That's what Liverpool have done. Um, I don't think Michael Edwards is a genius at all, but what they have had is this is the way we're going to play football. We want players who fit this pattern. This is the way our coach, the players he wants. We want players to fit that pattern. We're going to recruit them. Let's go out and we're only looking at those type of players. Forget the ones who are not fast enough and don't run hard enough and aren't good enough at counter-attacking football. Won't be able to play our pressing game. Don't touch them. We touch the ones that, that fit. Manchester City, same story. Pep Guardiola is going to be our manager. We're going to bend over backwards in a way no club has ever done for their manager. You know, we're going to hire our CEO and our football director to try and get him in. But they get him in and it's like, let's build a team for Pep Guardiola. So they sign Raheem Sterling and Kevin De Bruyne before Guardiola comes in, knowing that they expect him to come in. They start building the team there. And then every, every um, hire for them now is fit Guardiola's. It's very easy for them. Fit, what fits our style of play? What fits Guardiola's style of play? There's only a few targets. Go after the, that guy the one that fits budget and obviously they've got the ridiculous budget although they're a bit constrained by FFP but they've had that, <laughs> they've had that, they've had that ability to just say we'll pay what it takes Yeah. and so you get a, a squad that's fit for purpose and it, I mean thinking about this the other day Man City is actually going to have an interesting problem when Guardiola decides he's had enough of it because then you get we built a squad for Pep Guardiola's football who do we get in as the next manager they have to find a coach who's pretty similar to Guardiola, so they'll have a. They'll actually, they're actually limiting themselves in the in the in the, the group of coaches they can go after, um, because certain coaches just wouldn't work with that with that squad. Wouldn't fit that squad. I hope it. I hope the struggle. I hope it leaves soon. I hope the struggle. Just <laughs> finally, before we go, um, Allegri. Do you see? Um, there's been rumours of him coming to United in some capacity. I don't know if, if you think there's any any truth to that, or do you think that if further down the line the board and Woodward do get itchy trigger fingers he's a name that they could be looking at yeah we did this on um, Monday or Tuesday's podcast this week we talked about Allegri and what's going on with him Um, he's interested yeah Uh, he's taking a sabbatical he he intends to see out that sabbatical he's being paid by Juventus because uh, Andre Agnelli didn't want to sack him that was a decision that was made by their technical director ironically and their and Pavel Nedved, um, who felt that they needed to switch style a bit um, to, to win the Champions League. So Agnelli has kind of said, look, take a year off and I'll pay you your salary. So he wants to use that year. Um, he's conscious that Manchester United is a job that can open up and, and is definitely interested in it. As far as I'm told, there's been no contact. Um, you know, there's, no, there's no sort of discussions over come in and be manager. Um, but 
yeah, you'd have the opportunity to go after him if you wanted to. Whether you'd be able to convince him to take it, because he, he's very fussy about his job. He's had the chance to go to Chelsea in the past. When he moves, he wants to coach in the Premier League, but when he moves to the Premier League, he wants to coach a team where he can win. So it's that process of what can you, what can you offer a coach like that? What alternatives does he have? You know, if Paris Saint-Germain opens up because Tuchel doesn't do it this season, that's, I think that's the difference for Manchester United now. They're not, you know, the badges there, the status is there. But if you're a professional footballer or coach, um, you want to be competing in the Champions League. You want to have a chance to win it. You want to be. You don't want to come to Manchester United to play for third place. It's, it's a sad state of affairs. We're talking about Oli being replaced. We're only not sober as well. <laughs> it seems a far cry from that. Uh, the heady nights of, uh, of Paris, Duncan. It's been a pleasure chatting to you. I enjoy um, it. Thank you. People can check you out on your podcast as well as the. Um, What's the name of your podcast again? Transfer Window Podcast. Transfer Window Podcast. And obviously you write for the Daily Record, Sunday Times and all that stuff as well. Guys, this has been an interview with Duncan Castles. Don't forget as well, we have been nominated for a North West Football Award along with other United luminaries such as Luke Shaw's up for an award, Mason Green was up for an award, Katie Zellum's up for an award. We're up for Best Fan Channel and we've lost out the last two years to a Liverpool fan channel. So you need to sort oh, that You've got to sort that one out. Yeah, there's a link in the <laughs> description to vote for us. We appreciate your support. And obviously, don't forget to check us out on social media and subscribe as well. Thanks for watching. Sports Social Podcast Network. Teachers, administrators, and other school staff play an important role. Education can be a shining light, and it's really the equalizer for everybody. You are making a difference in people's lives, including your students. You can have a really bad day at school and still realize that what you're doing is making a bigger difference. We are the best profession in the world next to doctors, but even a doctor had a teacher. Find what helps at cdcfoundation.org slash how right now.